can't escape your shadow again the unpleasant presence you install and every memory we have forgotten promises like thoughts When we first moved here, when we first bought the house, I think five years ago, five years ago, August, um, the uh, Jehovah's Witness and the other kinds of uh, Korean churches would come by the house looking for my wife, and she would be at work in the middle of the day. I would be here, but, and um, they found out somehow that she uh, that she was Korean and she owned the house, and I would open the door, and they would always be shocked that there's a a non-Korean opening the door and and talking to them in Korean because I instantly recognized that they were Korean. And so a lot of those people were actually very happy to see me and see that I enjoyed the culture and knew some of the language um, regardless of their age. But then you run into these people. The very first day we were in Seattle when we first moved up here, a Chinese woman saw us at Safeway and she hissed at us. Oh, you got hissed at? Hiss that we got hiss that because you because you're american your wife is asian or yeah 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 okay. yeah because we're an interracial couple yeah, that, yeah. And, and it's just shocking because that never happened to me in la never where, where do you live again i mean i know the general vicinity but what what actual location well, are you now in? i'm south of seattle when okay. we first moved up here we were uh east of seattle okay right now i'm 20 miles south of seattle um but before, we were just right across the bridge in this little town called Issaquah. But it was really nice, quaint little town. Um, Indian, Korean, and uh, predominantly white. And, yeah, we were walking around maybe the first or second night we were in town. And this lady hissed at us. It was shocking. That's pretty surprising. I mean, we, we don't, you know, like, you know, our, both of our, uh, both of us have, uh, like, interracial marriages and... You know, I, I like Boston has a very terrible reputation and there are definitely parts of Boston where you will encounter issues with people. But I we, we really haven't had that much difficulty. Um, yeah. There have been a few incidents, you know, like more directed at her than the fact that we're an interracial couple. Um, but, you know, nothing, nothing uh, like extreme, but, you know, moments where, you know, she, you know, some, you know, somebody like waited on her to store and it didn't feel right. And my wife was asking about it after that kind of thing. But, but otherwise it's been, I don't know. It's it, people have been pretty cool with us around here. Um, yeah. But I don't know. Hissing seems a pretty extreme, like that's, yeah. that's really aggressive. I don't know. That's, that's a, uh, no, it was, it was shy. It was so shocking. I didn't know what to say or do. Right. You know me well enough to yeah. know that I'm not going to keep my mouth shut, but I was, I didn't, I didn't know what to say or do, and I just kept walking. Kept well, it, it also process, it seems like a really outdated way of expressing disapproval, too. Do you know what I mean? It, it seems like something you would see in like an old movie that's trying to capture, you know, like mobs of people in like the Middle Ages or the 18th century expressing their disgust at something. Do you know yeah, what I mean? it was almost car- it was almost cartoonish. <laughs> I mean. Maybe we need to show that this guy's a villain. Make is, him say something racist. Is there any chance she was expressing some other thing? No. Or the, okay. we were the only ones in the store. It was <laughs> okay. late at night. 
we were walking past her and she gave us a sideways glance and you get used to the sideways glance right you know when people are oh interracial couple or i mean it, again, it's usually an old korean man who's looking sideways at me but i i, I uh, you know like we like i said we haven't had too many problems but i'm also not terribly attentive to people like if people don't like me i don't usually care that much you know yeah, what i mean so yeah, I, don't, yeah. I don't worry about it if if somebody's looking at me funny unless it's like you know so obvious you can't ignore it but but if i can walk by you without thinking about it i I'm, i generally won't pay much attention um and so so yeah but also i don't know maybe it's different like you know like i i live in an area where there are a lot of interracial marriages and stuff in, at least in the city that i'm in so a lot of the stores that we go to or whatever there's just probably you know there, there probably isn't as much hostility towards something like that but um but yeah so so this is our first recording in god how long has it been has it been like it's been months it's been months it's been now a lot of it was the shutdown obviously because i think everybody i don't know the world changed and uh and everybody went a little bit crazy and on my end i found i got very lazy about doing podcasts and all that sure. even though there had been a time there there had been a long stretch you know like three months or something before that of us not recording but I think we were probably getting to the point where we were about to dive back in. And then, I don't know, with the shutdown, I just, uh, I, I started dedicating myself to, like, exercising in the morning and doing everything I could to not die of COVID. That sort of became my, uh, my, my obsession. I wanted to boost testosterone, get sunlight, and just increase my lung strength uh, in case I came down with this thing. So I've done none of those things. I, uh... I've, I've just stayed indoors. I I think I've left the house a dozen times since this all started. Okay. Five, what was it? Five months ago. I mean, I leave the house almost every day. I'm you know, yeah. I, so, I mean, but everything we had a really pretty we had a significant shutdown here. So like when things shut down, you you noticed, and and you know there were like a lot of types of businesses weren't open at all, and when you sure. went to the store, it was very tightly controlled, and it still is to a degree, but it's not like the I'd say about two or three weeks in you started getting these lines at the store because they were only letting a certain number of people in and that's when right. it became clear okay things are very different right now and and then i think i don't know everybody kind of went a little bit nuts i think it, you know just from being inside and e even though i'm not a very social person the the limits that were placed on me did start to have a little bit of an effect so um but yeah i don't know how did how did how did you handle the shutdown aside from not really well, going I'm out? I'm a hermit much? anyway, so I mean, I'm I'm spending maybe I'm spending maybe half the time I normally would have outdoors. I don't know. Okay. Uh, I miss going to just going for a walk to a store or to a hiking trail or somewhere. I miss that, but I don't miss interacting with people or anything like that. Okay. I mean, I don't. I, I'm selective with who I interact like I don't go out and socialize a lot but I do like to go visit my mom and dad my sister sure. and my nieces and nephews and you know like I, you know they're they're place you know I like to go to the movies once in a while that kind of thing um and so just not have you know I think not seeing family or or being within 20 feet of family and not actually seeing them is the weirdest uh part of the process because my family is very close but right. uh um but yeah I don't know it's, it's, and I didn't, I thought, 
I was a little bit productive. Like there were some books I was working on that I did do a lot of work on, but sure. I my guitar I haven't touched it since the shutdown happened. I just I don't <laughs> and know you why. bought it right before. I did. I bought it like uh, in October, November, maybe, and I was yeah. playing it all the time. And then like like literally like right when the shutdown happened, I just had no desire to play for some yeah. reason. I don't know why. So I just left it. No, I st- still haven't yeah. touched it. It's mentally draining, right? I've had to uh, forego talking to certain kinds of people online who just cannot look at anything but the misery of all this. Mm-hmm. And this is just a new job for all of us. That's all this is. We just have to be more careful, and we have to only go out when we need to, that sort of thing. And I think everybody just wants to turn turn it into misery for other people and then they start bitching about masks or they start bitching about people who won't wear masks and nothing is improving because you're angry no but but anger is a like there was a totally different vibe about a month into this in terms of people being ready to go like like i was getting into like i didn't get into any fights or anything like that but i had a few incidents that were that that I felt were going to come to blows with people that you wouldn't normally imagine would be that type of, do you know what I mean? Just like very people that you would normally expect to be a mild mannered, easygoing type person. And there was some dispute over a parking space or something that just escalated. And, uh, and I definitely saw a number of those mass confrontations. Um, everybody was just way more ready to pounce on you. If you, if you if you in any way interjected yourself into their day i think yeah. i think i think yeah. some of it was fear because people were afraid of being close to other people i think some of it was just this buildup of emotion that people were having during the shutdown i don't know but it was like uh you know i'll give you a good comparison you know like i i you know we talked about the boxing gym that i was going to before uh before the shutdown and everything and the mood, the, the, the like the the atmosphere in a boxing gym is kind of what the atmosphere at the store felt like. Do you know what I mean? There was like uh-huh. a there was like a this energy, like this really aggressive, chaotic energy underlying everything. And right, and so I don't know. It just felt like a weird time to me. But I, I don't know. I, I I studied history in college, so to <laughs> me it was like okay, this is I guess what it's like to live through some kind of big historical transition or something do you know what I mean or just some kind of you know long ongoing event so that's look. a really good, I was going to bring this up anyway I'm glad you created that transition for me um, when when these things happen I often want to ask the question what was it like in the year leading up to the Civil War uh-huh. what was it like in the year leading up to the People's Revolution or the the Bolshevik Re- Revolution right what we always hear about is the aftermath because the people who won these things get to tell the story. Yeah. But we never hear what was the day-to-day operation like for the people, the tension that was brewing in those in that full year before everything went to went to pot cuz you can imagine a civil war happening right now. Right? That's not an impossibility. I, I, well, I can, but I also think people I mean, maybe I'm overly optimistic, but I feel like the logistics of an actual civil war happening here it doesn't it's not like you have 
the power groups that I would expect. Do you know no, what I mean? No, 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 no. I, I absolutely agree. And I'm not saying that it's going to happen, but you can imagine it happening. Yeah. I, we have yeah. all the ingredients right now. And you could definitely see some kind of violence along yeah. partisan or political lines or whatever, uh, you know, around a lot of the stuff that's been going on and everything. So I, I could definitely, you know, I could definitely envision something like that. Um, right. So the question becomes, how similar is the tension today versus the tension in those other places in the year leading up to? Because we've had four years of right-wing hate towards the left in America, right? That, that's not an exaggeration of what's going on. And it doesn't seem to be slowing down. They won, and they hate the left even more than they did before they won. But the left so, hates the right, too. I mean, and I'm left, but, like, the left sure, hates sure, the sure. right. The left hates the right, too, and I think... I don't think but it's the, a... the left doesn't have any power to do anything about it right now. Well, but the left is definitely getting the momentum i mean they're they're probably about to gain the presidency back they're probably about to really get some big wins in the house and the senate like obviously you know at this moment the right has a lot of the power but also the left has a lot of cultural power so i think i think that you just have this i here's here's how i feel about this type of situation you know i'm left but i feel like at the end of the day people all the people that are on the opposite side of the fence for me, they're not going to go away. Do you know what I mean? It's sort of like we see in like the gaming hobby all the time where you have these brouhaha's where people get into fights and then two years later, it's still all the same people are still in the hobby. Do you know what I mean? They still right. have to live with each other. We still have to live in the same country together. And I, I, I feel like I've just withdrawn because I don't feel... I don't know. I, I just think that I, I see I see hate all over the place now. Um, and and I think I think it's coming from I think it's coming from all quarters. And I I don't know. I don't know. You know, I don't really know enough to analyze what's going on or to fix what's going on. Um, I just hope that things don't keep sliding so that it becomes impossible for people to live harmoniously. Or, do you know what I mean? Like I. I, uh, I, th I think I, it's been a radical shift. I'll say that the past, the past four years have been a radical shift overall, um, in terms of how we communicate with each other, in terms of how we report on the news and things like that. And in terms of where all the lines are drawn now, do you know what I mean? And, and I, I find it confusing <laughs> more than anything. I, I, I don't, uh, I don't, uh, it's, it's like a different world than I grew up in. Do you know what I mean? That's sort yeah. of how I would put it. It's a different world. And I feel like the, the, to go back to your point about civil war, I feel like I'm not ready to fight anybody, but I can definitely sense that the mood right. in the room overall is people are ready to go toe to toe over a lot of these issues. Do you know, even if it's yeah. not necessarily like a full scale civil war toe to toe, but like in the streets, you know, when, you know, when people are gathered together and there is conflict or that sort of thing um, online, obviously you see it. Um, but but yeah, I don't know. I, I don't really I, I, I feel I feel like perhaps what's driving a lot of this is stuff that we don't even understand or recognize. Do you know what I mean? Like, 
like again i can't i can't help but think that covid is playing a very big part in accelerating a lot of the conflict that we've seen um and i think and i think and i think a lot of it has to do with people are scared do you know what i mean and i think it also has to do with you know people are in denial that that there's this new disease that you know it's not, maybe not as lethal as initially it seemed it was going to be, but it's also not as simple as we thought it was going to be either. And it looks like it might have long-lasting effects. We don't know how much immunity we'll actually be able to achieve, all that stuff. So I think that, you know, I, I think there's a lot of trying not to look at COVID and trying to look at other things that you can do something about, because you can't really do much about COVID. So... Um, but you can do something about other things. You know, you can fully invest in political disputes or whatever. But um, but yeah, I've I've mostly just kind of stepped back from it all because you know I I uh, you know I'm not I'm not I mean even though I you know I I sometimes run my mouth a lot and I uh, you know and I like I like combat sports and stuff like that. I don't like fighting and I don't like violence and I don't like conflict in general. Um, so, you know, I just, I just haven't been, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't been too at ease with everything that's been going on around me, I would say. Yeah, I, I don't, well, I fear people who actually like violence. I, but yeah, you're right. I, I don't necessarily want to go and fight anybody, but I think if we had to, we have to, that's, that's totally, that's sort of, uh, certainly a different conversation, but you're right. I think. Tension certainly rose with being stuck indoors and and uh, yeah, too many people are just they're using this to to justify all their other hates that have been going on and brewing. And what I fear more than anything is what happens when when and if Biden actually does win and things shift and you have all these people who the flames have been stoking for for four years. Where do they direct that anger? Well, They're stuck indoors. They believe it's a hoax, right? And now they now they want to take it out on somebody. No, that's Is it true. Get but worse before it gets better. Well, okay, go ahead. Oh no, no, no. Go. I, I just was gonna say. I think, but again, I kind of feel like this stuff resides on both sides now. Like, if 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 Trump does this thing where he says like you know he loses and he says it was a you know a hoax or it was you know it was a fake election or whatever, that's gonna be a problem. But also, I feel like if Trump wins. It's not going to be any better on the left is going to be equally inflamed by that. Do you know what I mean? And and I think we tend not to see the flames because we're on the left. But like when I step back and look at it, I see people getting very angry on both sides. And, I you know, I'm maybe more sympathetic to one than the other. But I I feel like we're at a like very dangerous point just in terms of how we communicate politically what's yeah. acceptable politically and also very importantly how we cover the news i think i think how the news is covered is totally changed in the past four years and right. and it's mostly for the worse in my opinion i don't i don't agree with the way that all of the news outlets have radically altered their coverage and you know become more tr- more transparently partisan um and or, or at least not as objective to like, you know, giving in to sort of the subject, this idea of subjective news or I just, I'm just not comfortable with, with that development. And, but I also realize, you know, 
there's nothing I can do to change what's going on. I'm one person. And so what's going to happen is going to happen. And so I would rather observe what's happening and not really participate because I don't really like what's going on. And I don't want to be involved in, you know, like whenever I, you read about all these things that happen in history, you know, I, I just don't, I don't want to be, I don't, I, I don't want to be involved in, in stuff that I'm going to regret, even if it feels right at the time. Do you know what I mean? That's, you know, that's always my big worry. And so, you know, cause I think people do the worst when they think they're the most right. And, and so I, I, and again, you know, my dad was a pacifist, so maybe that has something to do with my attitude towards these things. Um, <coughs> you know, he was a conscientious objector during Vietnam. And, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, no, he, and, and he got legit, like, like that was a very difficult status to get. Um, and he, he managed to get it and he ended up, I think he worked on Rikers Island and he, they had him do like public service stuff instead of his service. Um, but I, you know, growing up, you know, that was, you know, I was always more naturally disposed towards violence. Do you know what I mean? Like, well, why don't we just bomb them, dad? Why don't we just do that? And my dad would always give me the counter. So that was always in my head growing up. Well, you can't just do it for this reason. So I had all the, the pacifist arguments coming from him. Um, and I don't know. I just, I don't, I, I, I think a lot of people get excited when they think there's the possibility of big change. And they think that th that we're about to settle whatever it is that we've been fighting over once and for all. Do you know what I mean? But I again, I go back to history. I don't think people understand what that really means, like what it means to have a violent revolution. Like it doesn't end when your side wins the fight. Do you know what I mean? It, right. There's there's carnage that happens after the revolution. And I don't think people are prepared for any of that. Um, I don't think people are prepared for the fight itself because I don't think. Americans generally, unless you're in the military or something, I don't, you know, we're generally not that familiar with violence, like people in, in, in countries that that have more rampant warfare and violence would be. And so I just don't think we understand what it means to cross that line. Um, and so... You know the story about um, uh, Fidel Castro's first attempt to overthrow Cuba, right? Why don't you? I'm vaguely familiar with it, but why okay. Don't you... So he he and uh, he didn't even know Che yet. Um, he and just some guys grabbed some rifles and stormed the local base. They didn't know what they were doing. They had no they had no training, no concept of how wars are fought. And so everybody was sleeping on the base. Uh, what was this? I mean, this had to be the 50s in in Cuba. And so he he storms the 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 base a lot of guys get a lot of his guys get killed i don't think there are any losses on cuba's side and then he uh he gets arrested and he's sent to jail for 10 years he doesn't serve the whole time he eventually is mm -hmm. let out but he dance when he meets up with uh he's tra starts traveling and he meets che in mexico and they're students of they're both students of communism and they start talking, they get to know each other, and that's when they actually learn a little bit more about how to fight a guerrilla war and how to do what they're doing. But they, he went into it as a complete idealist well, and had no plan of action at all. What worries me is I start to see a lot of language. And again, it's online, so who knows how reflective it is of the reality. But I feel like there, some people are getting into that second phase of Castor where they're actually learning right. the ins and outs of how to have a conflict. 
Pata. Well, you're, you're seeing that in Portland, certainly. They're, they've been under siege, what, 60 days now or however long it's been? Um, the people who've been on the streets fighting, and they're getting smarter about how they do it. No, yeah. And but they see- haven't picked up weapons yet. No, but what I mean is that's for the best. But what I mean is generally online you start you see people sharing information that is, you know, like essentially like how to wage or do you know what I mean? How to how to conduct this kind of conflict. And even again, even if people feel like it's coming from a good place, I don't think I don't think us moving into the territory of civil war or revolution or insurgency is is good. I think it's you know, is you know, a lot of a lot of children are going to get killed. A lot of innocent people are going to get killed if we go there. Um, you know, and I, I, I worry that we've just given up on resolving our conflicts politically. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I'll know. agree with you there. So you know, I don't know. I mean, again, I'm 43. I'm I definitely, and I feel a lot older than 43. So I feel like I am this is like really not my world anymore. Do you know what I mean? So I'm not particularly involved or invested, but I, you know, part of that is because I recognize the world's changed so much that I'm just not really part of it. Do you know what I mean? It's not, it's not the world that this is not the world I thought I was going to be living in at this age. And that's true. And, uh, it's, it's not the world that I felt, you know, I, I had a much more optimistic view of the trajectory of history uh for america and and now i just feel like okay you know you know you know the best i can do is equip you know the new generation like my nieces my nephews and all that and my you know uh you know my sister who's like a young mom with the 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 skills to to navigate everything you know i can just impart what i know but i'm not really interested in in getting involved in any of this anymore um you know also because I've I've had I've had plenty of experiences growing up where you get pulled into some kind of conflict. Do you know what I mean? You get and it feels so righteous. You feel so right. And you know, you you're you're out there, you know, whether it's figuratively or literally confronting people in a line together. And then you realize the person to your right is screaming things you don't agree with. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. willing to go places you're not willing to go. Do you know what I mean? So I just don't, I don't like going with whatever, you know, masses of people always concern me. Do you know what I mean? I'm always concerned whenever there's lots of people thinking the same way. Um, And, and I tend to not want to, you know, go with it. Uh, So, so see, I don't know. I, I, it's, it's, I, I think that, you know, that's why I've sort of leaned so heavily into, okay, I'm just going to get up. I'm going to work on my heavy bag. I'm going to go running. I'm going to go work on this. I'm trying to live like a very monastic life right now because I know there's nothing I can do about whatever it is that's going on. I know that I'm probably not smart or wise enough to really understand fully the reality of what's going on and, you know, the morality of what's going on. And, and I don't want to... I don't want to get sucked into all of these dreams of things that are going on around me um, that seem like they could all, that many of them could end up in very bad places. Um, so, you know, I, I just, you know, you know, I, 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 
you know, I, I just focus on the things I know, which is, uh, you know, you know, exercise and stuff like that, you know, listening to music and, and gaming. Those are really, you know, anything beyond that, even history, because I only have a BA in history. I don't have an advanced degree and I've never, you know, done anything exceptional with history. So even with history, it's just sort of an area of interest for me. Do you know what I mean? That's, you know, a lot of the stuff sure. that I've read with history has made me particularly cautious about these kinds of things because I feel like I see, you know, like, and again, you have to be careful because history doesn't repeat it rhymes, but there are patterns you see and they make you nervous when they creep up again, but they might yeah. not necessarily play out the same way. So do you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's always hard. To, I would not have, you know, if you had asked for my prediction four years ago, what was going to happen in four years, it would have been totally wrong. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I obviously don't have good predictive powers. So I, uh, uh, you know, I, I just want to. I think for the first time in a long time, and this is, by the way, we're coming back off of not recording for a long time. And this mm. is a really depressing episode. Uh, but I think we're living for the very first time ever in America in a time where we really cannot see beyond right now. Because we have no idea how COVID's going to play out. We have no idea who's going to win in November. We have no idea if this is going to change or if it's going to continue on for another five years. Yeah, yeah. It's like and, being in World War II and not knowing how it's going to end. Yeah, I mean? yeah. It's very comfortable watching World War II movies when you know how it's going to end. But I'm yeah. sure our grandparents were not comfortable not knowing how that war was going right. going to hash out. So, it's it's yeah. I, I think you're right. I think that's true. Um, but go on. I'm sorry. I kind of interrupted you there. No, that no, that that was about it. I was I was just. I think I made my point. Is we really we're living in a time where we can't see what's going to happen. And it's very difficult to be hopeful and to want to work on things and to to plan for the rest of our lives. I my wife and I keep joking. I keep saying, you know, if something happens and I die of this thing, just take all the money and just go enjoy the next couple of years of your life because yeah. you're i mean why are you working and killing yourself if you and i can't even go anywhere and do anything and enjoy what we have and we're by the way financially and and just uh interpersonally she and i we have never gotten things have never been better yeah right she and i have just been getting along fabulously we're stuck in the house together 24 7 and you would think we'd be fighting all the time and it's the exact opposite and uh, uh, she just got a pay raise and a, and a promotion at work, which is shocking in this economy, yeah, right? Yeah, definitely and a surprise. And this is the first time ever we've felt our feet on really solid financial ground in years because it's so expensive up here. Yeah, uh, I mean, we, we've, we definitely have had a, had a rough go. The, the, shutdown, the shutdown here, like my wife works in, as a waitress. And, you know, and I'm a writer. Yeah. And so uh, writing actually turned out to be everything kind of was better uh, than worse for the, on the writing side. But on her side, you know, you can imagine the restaurants being shut down. She worked as long as she could and then she had to stop working. And now now that things are opening up again, what we're finding is so there's very few jobs and a lot of people trying to return to them. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. so that is the new situation so it hasn't been easy for her and sometimes that's meant we've had you know a, a little bit of fighting in the house but so it hasn't been as 
It hasn't been quite the same situation as you've had. But overall, I think it's been... Uh, because you're sort of facing the world together, it is better. Do you know what I mean? It is overall better. But there are moments where, you know, people get... You know, you're, you're locked in the house and, you know, it's it's stressful. And so... And again, especially on her end where she's worried about work and all that stuff. But, but I think that... Um, I don't know. He, I mean, also, every state handles these things very differently so i don't know how different our state is versus yours but you had said something about the possibility of dying um which made me think of probabilities because you know i mean we're both gamers and probabilities are you know inherent to the gaming sure. activity and so i i feel like it's something that it doesn't make us more knowledgeable when something like this happens but I think we immediately have like a die that we can call up into our head and say, okay, if, you know, what is a 1% chance feel like when you roll a D100? Do you know what I mean? Like right, you right. have, you have a sense of how frequently that 1% comes up. And, and I think, uh, for me, I mean, maybe other people have an opposite reaction. It made me, even though the number was fairly low, I think I've always heard the, the overall lethality rate is something like 07 to 3%. And right. and, 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 and and it seems like we're getting they're getting better at figuring out where it actually is gonna be. Which is encouraging because there was a time when it, we thought it might be higher, but that's still quite high. It's still it, it, in terms of you get this thing and you now know you have a point seven or a three percent chance of dying. Do you know what I mean? That's you know, your odds are very good of surviving, but you know, I've rolled enough D one hundreds that have come up two or three percent or one percent to to be like, okay, you know, uh, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, a little, I'm I am worried about it. Do you know what I mean? If, if I get this, thing. right? But it, it's one to three percent in a vacuum, and then yeah. you have to start applying other factors. Well, yes, I really yes. don't work out as much as I should. My lung capacity isn't what yeah. it used to be. I am fifty years old now. Yeah. So there are there are factors that affect me that probably don't affect somebody else, and so you do start getting a little bit nervous about it. Yeah. And it's only realistic. It, it's not one of those things, and this is the problem I have with everybody that thinks it's a hoax. Um, whether or not it's a hoax, why would you fuck with this? Why would you tempt fate with something that we don't have a cure for yet? If you get it, let's say it's not even lethal. If you yeah. get it, you have to lay on your stomach, and you have to wear a diaper because you have to shit on your stomach. Well, if you, And if you get to that point, your chances of survival are really low anyways. Cause you're, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. You know, no, so. I know. Um, but the the good news about that is I think you are knocked out when they do that. I don't think you're awake while you're on in the diaper. Uh, uh, at least I've heard of people who are awake for it. That oh, really? You have to, yeah, you have to sleep okay. on your stomach, and it's uncomfortable for them, and they have trouble falling asleep on their stomach. Yeah, I can I can imagine that. I mean, but yeah, I, for some reason I thought they were knocking people out. I thought they were in um, sedated at least or something but i guess sedation would be bad because that might lower your lung capacity so uh -huh. um but yeah i don't know i mean i i i have uh we have a cousin that passed away from it in a nursing home and we you know my my grandfather's girlfriend uh from many years ago was in a nursing home and she passed away from it so you know i you know i i don't really i don't doubt it's you know it's reality um you know I, I feel like I feel like there's there's two things to worry about here. I, I feel like uh, I'm I'm worried about the virus, um, and I feel like what worries me most is just the unknowns about it. So 
I think that it's you know, you know, it, a lot of what we've learned about it has been has been a relief, but a lot of what we've learned has also made me more nervous. And I also just keep getting the sense that we really don't know that much because it's so new, and so that yeah, just yeah. makes me more cautious. Yeah. Um, but also the, the the economic effects are very real too. So like worrying about the economy as well. I feel like, you know, I don't know. And again, I I I I don't really know the best way to deal with something like this. Um, but I feel like, uh, you know, I, I've seen I've seen the economic effects too, and those are not good either. So it's almost like whichever direction you go, you're. You know, the world is going to change regardless. It's either going to be changed by COVID or it's going to be changed by the economic effects of COVID and or the shutdown. So, you know, there's I, this I, there's this fascinating PDF. The Shell Corporation invested in research to find out what happens when we run out of oil. Mm -hmm. What's the world going to look like? And they hired all of these scientists and futurists and engineers. and They put together a really comprehensive report a study basically saying here's the turning point based on our projected population growth here's the turning point the year is 2070 and how we get to 2070 there's two different paths um, and I, I can send it to you i'll find it online okay. i can find this video i've read some of it but um i it was mentioned in a documentary and i'm trying to remember which one i want to say corporation um where they talk about this this uh this report and basically says this is what 2070 is going to look like and there's two paths how we get there and it's either cooperative or it's competitive but no matter what we do this is what 2070 is going to look like and this is how we're going to have to get ready for that change and it one road is really really rough one is going to take a lot of work on our part to get there but it's also going to result in less death mm -hmm. essentially and you can apply the logic of that report to say a time like right now right if if we all sat down and said look nobody has to work right now unnecessarily on things that don't feed us that don't get energy and electricity and whatnot in the house but we're all going to have to plan for paying this much more taxes once this is all over right yeah that's I, i'm not trying to solve the problem by the way. i'm just listing two ideas to exemplify how this is how we always end up in these situations because we know what we need to do, but the hard work always scares us. And Americans are really good at not doing the hard work until they absolutely have to. And then we always do the right thing. Well, I also think, though, it's the fact of, I mean, it's just, you know, and this isn't a criticism of democracy. I'm very pro-democracy, but it's just a reality of living in a dem democratic country that, you know, it's not like having Jim Pinto sit down at a panel and say, okay, we have to do X and we have to do Y if we want everything to work out. Do you know what I mean? You have right. to, everybody kind of has to get on the same page and that's not going to happen in, you know, in a, in a place, in a country where everybody has different opinions, different feelings. Different... So, you know, like, like, like obviously if you have the shutdown and you fund the shutdown, that can work out. Um, but the challenge, you know, is you might have the shutdown, but you might, it might not be funded. Do you know what I mean? And then that, and then if it's not funded, then the shutdown could have very serious, you know, like poverty can kill people. Do you know what I mean? Hunger can yeah. kill people. Um, so what I saw was a lot of, I, you know, I felt that, and again, I don't want to get too political here, but I felt that we should have a shutdown, but we should also fund it. Do you know what I mean? If we're going to have it. And I felt right. like what we did was the worst thing, which was we had the shutdown, but we didn't fund it really. 
or it was like a half-ass funding. And so by doing it that way, it just sort of, I don't know, it just, it just, the, the economic problem would become unavoidable, it seemed to me. Uh, so, I mean, granted, we did have, they did pass a bill and, it, you know, and there were things done. So it wasn't like a, to- but, but it, I, I just think that, you know, one side, when this first started, things have changed a lot, I think, in the past three or four months, the past two months. But in, in when this first started, I feel like one side was kind of saying that, you know, you're, you're a monster if you aren't worried about the worst case COVID scenario. And the other side was kind of saying you're a monster if you're not worried about the worst case economic scenario. And I feel like both of those are, you know, valid concerns. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, and I also think we don't, again, this is new territory. We don't know how things are going to pan out. Um, so, so I don't, that, again, that's one of the reasons why I say I really don't have the wisdom or the knowledge to, you know, I'm, I'm much more content to just observe and live through this world and not, you know, especially when I know I, I can run my mouth all day, but I don't have, there's not anything that I'm going to be able to do individually that's going to, you know, make a difference, really. Do you know what I mean? So, uh, and if you can't control something like that, it's, you know, why why get into heated arguments with people about it? Why uh, why make yourself suffer so much over it? Do you know what I mean? It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's like a storm. I can't reason with a storm, you know? So, um and 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 I can't even really comprehend or understand a storm either, even though I can, you know, uh, you know. So, so yeah, I don't know. I don't really know where I was going with that, but I feel like uh, I guess I guess back to your point is is that I I don't know if it's 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 an unwillingness to work. I think it's just a, a byproduct of we're very complex country with different sure. opinions throughout. And different, even different ways of life, really, and different value systems, and and that kind of all came to a head with a lot of this. Um, and you know, I, and again, I think uh, I think you know, there's other things too, like you know, you know, obviously people don't trust media as much anymore, and that's having an effect here. There's there's more there's 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 more mainstreaming of theories that might not have been as widely entertained as they were like 10 years ago or 15 years ago. And so, you know, there's an excellent book that everybody should read about America. It's called American nations by Colin Woodard. Uh, It should be required reading in school. This, This is how important this book is. It basically teaches you what America is and why it feels so disparate why it feels so broken up it's we're not a united nation we're 11 separate cultural nations and he does a great job of walking through it and explaining exactly why there's so much bristling between the sides and it's because you have so many parts of the u.s that developed independently of one another yeah and they really didn't come together until say sometime around the world war ii um so and even on the very far west coast, Seattle, Portland, uh, Berkeley, San Francisco area, that's still an alien world to the rest of the U.S. because it's so progressive. Yeah. Well, even that... like even me when I went to San Francisco, 
I remember like I like San Francisco, but I remember there were like there were like random protests on every street, and I remember that's not something that I'm accustomed to seeing. Do you know what I mean? It was like, and it's it was odd to me. Do you know what I mean? It was just sort of like, well, you know, why aren't people working? Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, and and there wasn't any. There, I don't remember. I guess the most pressing issue at that time was the Iraq War, but things were kind of dying down, so it just didn't seem as pressing to me being in Boston. But when I went there, you know, the 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 political activity was a lot more, uh, you know, just a, a lot more energized. It seemed. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it. it I don't know. I. I I feel like um. I I definitely. I definitely think that there's a big difference between that part of the country and a lot of like that. That's probably where you have the biggest difference between the rest of the country, I think. Um, but also, you know, like I, you know, I have, uh, you know, my, you know, our friend Joel is on, on some of the podcasts and he's from Missouri and him and I have talked about the differences between Boston and, and Missouri. They're pretty, sure. they're pretty different. You know what I mean? There's the, uh, you know, the, I think that, you know, there's that the, the, there are similarities between where I live and where you live, which is we're both fairly urban. Do you know what I mean? So, um, or I, I'm assuming you live in an urban area. Actually, I don't. I, I do. Okay. I do. Um, and I think that puts you in contact with more kinds of people. Do you know what I mean? There's, there's more. Yeah. There's, there's stuff that happens when you're in a more urban area. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it. I, 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 I have been meaning to read that book. I know you've mentioned it a number of times. Uh, one thing I always kind of wonder about, though, is there was another book called. Um, it was similar but different. I'm trying to remember the name of it. It was really important. Uh, was it The Clash of Civilizations? Um, I don't know if I know that one. Hold on. Uh, people might hear my keys clacking because I, I, sh- I, should, I should be able to know this off the top of my head because this is one of the things I had to read when I was in school. Yeah, it was The Clash of Civilizations uh, by Samuel Huntington. And it's, it's, uh, it's, it's something that, you know... Uh, in the wake of Iraq became very controversial, but he kind of broke up the world into these different cultural spheres. And a lot of what he talked about became relevant in, uh, uh, you know, post nine 11. Um, and it was about these inevitable clashes that he saw. Now that it's, 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 it's not, not another thing is there's a lot of people that disagreed with how he carved up the cultural zones. Do you know what I mean? And right. disagree with others are part of the book. So what I'm wondering about the book that you have, is is there disagreement over the way he carves up America? Is there? Do you know what I mean? Or is is that all generally agreed upon by people? Uh, well, people? he's the first one to really tackle it. I think the way he has. But no, I haven't heard any disagreement. Okay. There's a lot of people that pretty much post his map without even accrediting him. Okay. And say here, this is fact. Okay. Uh, so I mean, I, I in the scholarly world, he's a journalist and he's a he does a lot of research and that kind of thing, so he's not in academia, but okay, he's sat okay. down and done his work on this. You, you can see that, right? You can see that he didn't—he didn't just slap dash a theory together. He went and researched each of these independent nations okay. and said, "This is how tidewater developed. Here's how the deep south developed." Okay, okay. And he takes his dime introducing each of them before they encounter one another. Okay. And yeah. So Del Norte is actually the first American nation. It's up through the middle of the country where the Spaniards came up and made their way all the way to Colorado without Colorado being a thing yet. 
And so they left. They left. They, you know, they realized we don't know. We haven't mapped this thing. We don't know where the fuck we are. This is terrifying because the plains were terrifying before farming because okay. it was just grass in every direction. Right. Yeah. It scared the hell out of them. So they get to, say, areas like Pueblo, Colorado, and they they say we're going back. They leave behind garrisons and those garrisons end up developing cultures. Mm hmm. Right. And so the first nation of America actually before anything is Del Norte. Okay. And then yeah. and then he's saying that feeds the the culture that emerged in that spot today. Right, right. Yeah. And it's this really narrow needle like nation that comes right up through Mexico, through New Mexico, okay. a little bit of Arizona, Utah and Colorado, and it forms this 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 Spanish speaking Spain, not Mexico, Spain-focused Hispanic culture that uh, that is very different from other Hispanic cultures throughout the United States. Okay. Now, yeah, I'm curious what his take on the Northeast would be. I, I just, on the map, it's like Yankeeville or something. Yeah, right? Yankeedom. Yeah. Yeah. Which which makes me which makes me suspicious because because Yankee here means something very specific, um, but I assume he means North northern or northeastern person he's talking about an industrialized way of life he's talking okay. about uh people that came with their own work ethic um he talks about the pre-banking process and how strong economically new england was before bankers showed up and ruined it um that that's in the book too and he talks about how that spread through quakers right mm -hmm. quakers take that culture and they spread it through pennsylvania they spread it through ohio indiana and then that gets mixed with a different kind of culture in the midwest that that quaker mentality and so i mean he really like i said he really does his own work. it's a fascinating book i don't okay. want to talk all day about it but okay okay we won't we should probably talk about music because this is a music podcast is we... are we doing the music channel is that what we're which one we're talking on today yeah we're on the music <laughs> channel you know because we... you have so many we could be talking yeah. on anything uh, well i don't have channels i have shows that we do and it's just yeah. you know whatever we want to do but but uh but none of my shows usually get that deep into political stuff. So, you know, it's very outside of our territory. We're like the it's like when um, a morning zoo show decides to go super political. And, you know, they have like one smart guy on the show who can talk about it, and, you know, and everybody else is just, you know, meandering. So um, I think the struggle is there was no way for us to not on our first show back with everything going on, not to hit some of these touchstones. I agree. Just... I agree. I agree 100 percent. I you, you just know me. I'm not I'm not super political, so I always kind of struggle with these conversations. But um, and and I also and I also always like to be I like to be honest with people when I'm having them. So I like to say what I actually believe. I don't like to do you know what I mean. But they're yeah. they're frustrating conversations sometimes. Um, I think too often people hear people speaking politically and they think we're trying to provide answers or that someone is trying to provide answers. There's always this sort of con man approach. I don't trust somebody who tells me what the disease is and what the cure is. Yeah, yeah. Um, because that person usually is wrong about both. Uh, or, or it's a con, right? They know that it's wrong and well, they're just putting on a con. Well, well here's, what I've no here's a pattern I've noticed my whole life. Not my whole life, but I noticed after a long time of living that when there is a crisis, there's inevitably somebody who's had a plan on the shelf that they wanted implemented, kind of like in RoboCop, and right. it was just it was just the excuse to get the plan they wanted implemented. 
happened. So, right. so you're always a little bit nervous when something happens, whether it's 9-11 or, you know, yeah. the financial crisis or this, that somebody comes in and they have a, a plan that seems perfectly suited to the situation, but is actually serving other ulterior goals. And so, right, right. Um, so, so, yeah, I think and it's... And it just happened to be sitting on their desk for 12 years before... Yeah. Yeah, that the crisis even happened. Yeah, there always seems to be a few of those people, you know, hanging around when something like this happens. So, um, you know, and and sometimes their plans are really good because they've been sitting, you know, they've not just been sitting on the desk for 12 years, they've been fine tuning them for 12 years, you know. So, <laughs> but I'm reminded of V for Vendetta, the very, the very subtle moment in the movie where he says, um, you know, you needed us. I've never and, seen V for Vendetta. So oh, you is, really need to. It is a fantastic movie. And I, it's so telling of what we're living through. I've been told it is. I just haven't. I, 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 it's one of those things where I'm sure if it was on streaming on a day that I wanted to see it, I would see it. But that's kind of my it, big It's limitation. on Netflix. Is it? All right. Maybe I'll check yeah. it out. Maybe I'll check it out. Um, but, uh, but what have you been absorbing musically during this period? What is your, uh, you know, what is your uh, playlist been? Or, uh, or pretty much the same. I don't think I've discovered anything new. I um, here and there I'll pick up a couple of bands. I've been really going back to the past and enjoying old Priest lately. Okay. Um, I think the comfort and the nostalgia. Um, I listened to Oathpath yesterday. The whole the the new album. I listened to the whole thing again from beginning to end. Um, and that's not comforting. That's not a comforting album. Um, and. So yeah, I have I haven't really discovered anything new since we last recorded. Okay. Yeah, I can't say I've discovered. I mean, I've gone back and listened to a lot. Like, and I I noticed I was listening to different Priest albums than I would normally listen to when I listened to Judas Priest. Um, like I was listening to British Steel and Stained Glass, which are albums that are very popular, but they're not albums that I normally gravitate towards. And I just wanted to kind of I, I wanted to listen to them a lot so I could kind of get why people like them. And it, it did it did it did end up working, um, and I I actually went back and I I listened to uh, I listened to all the System of a Down albums uh, again because I I was into them when they first came out up through what was their last album they put out the Mesmerized and Hypnotized album I, I got every album of theirs except for uh, Steal This Album which I still to this day don't really have any familiarity with but. I was curious, you know, uh, because they sort of occupy a funky space in the context of this podcast with things like new metal and, and all that, uh, you know, what it was about them that I liked. And I discovered it was basically the same thing that I like about King Diamond and, uh, and, and a band like Metallica. Any, any of these bands that, that will contrast bitterness with sort of like sweet melodic you know spaces afterwards and and so you know i realized that was the thing that that really made them work for me there were other things too but that was the big thing and and I've, i actually it probably comes as no surprise that i don't like system of a down no and that's why i said it occupies a strange space here because i know yeah. you're not a fan yeah, of yeah, yeah. and i wouldn't expect you to be i mean they have especially their first album when i went back and listened to them i was like you know this first album it at the time when it came out, it sounded kind of groundbreaking, but now it sounds a lot like Korn. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. like I go back and I'm like, that thing he's doing is totally like a Korn thing. Um, 
there were things they were doing that those bands weren't, which sort of set them apart. I think there's a lot. My reasons for liking System of a Down are the lyrical content always seemed a little bit more. It wasn't necessarily my cup of tea politically, but it seemed a little bit uh, more thoughtful than some of the stuff that some of those other bands were putting out. Um, you know, maybe with the exception of like Tool, because their lyrics are pretty intense and deep. But um, but also they have the, you know they're Armenian and and uh, and I'll tell you after the podcast why that's particularly relevant to me. But uh, but you can hear that in the music. Do you know what I mean? You can hear the Armenian influence in their melodies and stuff, and and I think that gives it a sound that I, I just find appealing. Um, but uh, but also the, they they the when they do engage with melodic stuff they're really good at it do you know what i mean like the 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 the, the melodic spots of their music are you know really well done um, I, I will agree with you there that when he when he focuses on melody he's a good singer yeah well and and also sometimes the other guy sings too which confuses things a little bit but over the years they got more and more melodic that first album only has like i think like one song that's really melody heavy um but then by toxicity they start doing this thing where you get, you know, you get a lot of rough sounding stuff and then a melody and then rough sounding stuff and then a melody. Um, and the melody is really, you know, the heart of it, I think. Um, but, but yeah. And, and also his voice is a little bit, uh, you either like it or you don't. Um, and the way in the guitarist, when he interjects, you either like that or you don't. Yeah. Um, one of my criticisms of the band actually is I don't, particularly like it when the guitarist writes lyrics i feel like he i not that he's bad just that the other guy is so much better they shouldn't be doing that do you know what i mean that, that it should be all uh surge doing the lyrics um because he's just so much better than the guitarist yeah, he probably only has so much in the tank though too you can't put all that on a on somebody that doesn't want to write 20 songs no but the thing is for a lot of their albums it's largely him and it's not, yeah. I don't think it's until Hypnotize, and I could be wrong on this, so people correct me. I think when you get to Hypnotize and Mesmerize, which are really good out, al- like that's a really good double album. It, they were sold separately, but you can, when the way that they released it was like one came out and then like two months later, I think the other one came out. But then when you brought the other one home, you realized you could slip them together as a double album. Um, and one is like more traditional metal style stuff, and one is much more melodic. Um, and, and, and having him having him write more of the songs it does it, it created this wonderful double album but uh but also it, it i don't know I, I feel like i i i you can definitely see the difference in quality between their lyrics do you know what i mean between the sure. when a guitarist yeah. when a guitarist tries to write work because you know i know this as a guitarist myself when a guitarist tries to to do lyrics and sing, singing stuff unless there's someone like steve harris where that's what they really want to be and they're just doing another instrument so that they can do you know what i mean like yeah, yeah. you know uh i, I it, it they don't they can be really good but there are going to be these weird dips where you're like well that doesn't sound right do you know what i mean because they're not a singer so but yeah so that and i i i actually listen to a lot of pop music like the weekend and stuff because i just wanted i don't know i just needed to get like air do you know what i mean sometimes i needed to you know you're locked in the house and i really wanted um stuff that was more fun and theatrical 
and so I was, you know, listening to a lot of the weekend and a lot of, um, uh, uh, I don't know, just random, like old classic music. Uh, I was, I was tending to go down these long rabbit holes. I, I built this big playlist up of, of music from like my favorite Wuxia movies and, right. and was listening to that. Um, which, you know, if you're not a fan of Wuxia, it's probably not going to appeal to you, but I, I like the style of music that goes with Wuxia. Um, I love Bhangra music, which is Punjabi urban uh, drum music. Uh, it's what kind of I drums do they? Do, do you know what kind of drums they play in those? That one that you wear on your side. I don't know what it's called, but you wear it on your hip, and it's a it's a three beat rhythm. Okay. And you play with the sticks on the top of the the drum. Now, what is it that you find appealing about that music? Because I think most people that aren't familiar with it, they hear it, and they don't have the hook. Do you know what I mean? Because it's not familiar yeah. to them. So what's the hook? What's the thing that? Well, latches? it's the different rhythm. It's it's an un, it's an uncomfortable rhythm in the in the West, right? Because mm-hmm. it's three beats instead of four. Um, but it's also got that. It's it's got that sort of sound where the rhythm's trying to catch up with itself and layer on top of it. So it, I feel like the music is chasing itself when when I'm listening to it. Okay. Um, and there's. It's just, it's different enough that it pulls me out of just the tiresome pop mediocrity that is America. I'm sure in the Punjab, this is mediocre music to them a lot of the times because, oh yeah, another Bhangra band, great, just what we needed. Mm -hmm. But for me, as an outsider, I only discovered it about 20 years ago, so it's still fun and new for me and i don't listen to it every day so uh it doesn't have you hear pop music so much in commercials and when you're outside and everything else that you just get sick of fucking Katy perry or whoever yeah because it's the okay yeah i got it you're a firework or whatever the fuck you said you were (laughs) i but enough give us a break there are other things going on but the people that don't really like music don't have a love affair with music pop music just well, it Ka- fills the dead air Katy perry is one that i've always had difficulty with appreciating i just can't get into that style of pop music the only song of hers that i even really liked was actually the one that you sent the link about the one that was part of the um uh the copyright claim yeah yeah and, and it's because of the ostinata in the you know that the that ostinata. yeah yeah it's 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 uh you know that i i, I find that very I don't know. It's it's it, you know Iron Maiden could have done that. Do you know what I mean? It's got like right. a uh, there's a catchy melodic thing going on there. Um, but overall, yeah, I don't. And maybe you know, same thing with Taylor Swift. The thing that bothers me about someone like Taylor Swift is like the lack of melodic difference throughout. You know what I mean? It's just like there's not enough melodic variation going on when I hear music. Right, like that. right, right. Um, and I really like to me melody is like everything. So. Um, and I, and I am finding, you know, with a lot, with not all, like there is a lot of pop music that's like atmospheric and stuff that I like, like I'll listen to stuff on kiss 108 and I'm fine with it. Um, but some of it, you know, if it, if it's, if it doesn't sound like it's really moving much, do you know what I mean? It doesn't sound like there's enough variation going on or something. It'll, it'll bore me. Um, you know, but, but, uh, but I don't know. I, I think actually, uh, some of the music that's been coming out, I think, in the past few months has been more varied than we've had lately. I could be wrong, but I feel like, 
and a lot of them are kind of like summer jammy type things, but there's just a lot more chord variations that I'm hearing and a lot more, you know, interesting rhythms and, and melodies coming in. Um, I'm wondering if maybe pop music has hit a point where they have to start to expand the palette more because there was this period where there were a certain series of chords that you always heard and n very little melodic variation. Um, you know, so, you know, hopefully we're seeing something of a shift, but, uh, but yeah, I finally sat down and listened to all of Newstead's, um, discography, all of his songs. How is it? Cause I've, been, I've never really listened to much of his stuff, but I've always been kind of curious. I love the, the music in the background. Uh -huh. I think his lyrics are stupid. Which and... is what you'd expect from a bass player. Like, again, unless it's right. Steve Harris, you're not going to expect much from a bass player or lyricist. Um, um and I think that there's no variation to his voice. All the songs are pretty much the same when he's singing. But I imagine him doing like a Hetfield impression when he sings. Uh, there's a couple of times where he pulls, he, he has to round out the end of a note mm -hmm. because he doesn't have a, he doesn't have a high pitched voice. So he has to do the growl. Okay. And I figured out Hetfield's trick a long time ago. Cause he doesn't, he can't, he can't resolve a note going up he has to resolve it coming down so he does the yeah and okay. it's, it's so cliched now that a lot of but wait if he wait a second though if he it. if he can go down to up can he also go up to that like wouldn't he be able to go the other way or no i no not necessarily i mean i'm not a singer so i don't know i'm just i've just i've no i've definitely noticed that pattern in hetfield's voice yeah, I yeah. Just, and I it's just, because of how you Usually, when you're singing a line, you always want to resolve up, uh -huh. right? Because you're depending on how you're. Singing oh, it. oh, okay, I get you. So you're saying he can't go higher than that, so he has to go lower. Okay. Yeah, I so get he it. Has okay. To go lower. That's why he's rounding it, and he does a growl or the yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, which is a very yeah. South Park feel to yeah. my ear. Well, and that's because Trey Parker he does all the lyrics and the vocals. He's not a singer. No, but right. he actually knows a lot about music, Trey Parker. He does. He loves music. Yeah. He studied music. He, that was his. Um, that's what he went to school for. Um, he has to know if I'm going to do this. I don't because nobody wants a crack on the way up. That's the other thing too. Mm. When I try to sing along with music in the car, and somebody goes too high, I just I just stop singing because I don't want my voice cracking, trying to hit a C. Um, yeah, I I have the Leonard Cohen problem, which is. I, my voice is naturally pretty deep when I sing, but I find it very hard to get emotion with right. the lower ranges. And so I tend to, like, you know, like the early songs in Leonard Cohen's career, he's singing way out of his range. My my natural inclination is to do that, to sing like a, a vaguely, almost Bob Dylan uh, uh, range that I so cannot do. Um, and... I'm never quite comfortable singing in like the bass, which is what I really should be singing in. Um, right. But, I uh, took singing lessons, and if I'm humming, I, I only took them for a little while. I'm not good, but uh, I can hit notes mm -hmm. if I sing really low. But beyond a certain point, I my voice doesn't work anymore. But if I'm humming, I can hum much higher than I can sing. Okay. Well, I can understand that. Like when I, I didn't take singing lessons, but my guitar teacher sometimes did vocals for me. And when I, uh, I did take a class on, um, 
I forget what it was called, but it was one where we had to like understand orchestration and stuff. And the teacher, she wanted to see if I was interested in chorus, so she checked my range on the piano. Um, yeah. And I wasn't interested in doing chorus. But she told me I was like a really like low register bass. I don't know what the right. proper term for it was. Um, and so that was kind of like a light bulb because I was like, oh, that's why it's so tough for me to sing because I'm never singing in the right range. Um, but, but still, even knowing that, I find bass... It's sort of like if you're speaking voice is naturally very low it's like it's very hard to kind of have a monotone sounding voice sometimes do you know what i mean um and the same with singing but uh but yeah i don't know what what uh what 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 was the uh what is james newstead's catalog consist of is it just solo material or is it that flotsam and jetson whatever that band was called no, no, no. Uh, I, I was talking about just his uh, his band that he made with a couple other guys. Okay. And he was he was a lead singer on all of it. He did an EP and then an LP. Uh, and it, he claimed this is confusing because some of that stuff is really good, right? And mm-hmm. if he'd brought in a singer, he could have been competitive with the rest of the metal market. But uh, he claimed that he was just doing too many projects, and that's why the band failed. Okay. Uh, but I, I the the uh, the guitar player said some nasty things online about him and what did he say? I don't remember the specifics. I just remember reading the news article about mm-hmm. it, basically saying, uh, "Well, we're never touring again." I don't know what the hell's going on with that. That kind of you know bravado. Okay. And uh, Jason had to come out and say something a few months later to defend himself. And okay. I just wish everybody had been honest about why it didn't work. I mean. I mean, I can, I mean, here's the thing. He was in. I can see him being someone who's got a lot of issues because he was in this really big band and he left at the moment that he did, and you know, it. And it seems like it might have been something he regretted when things didn't work out the way he wanted them to with his other band. Well, uh, you know why he left, though. Well, he left because James Hetfield basically was prohibiting him from. Right. Doing this other material that he wanted to the, do. The band was putting out albums once every three or four years, mm. and he was still young, didn't have a family, loves music. He wanted to be recording. And he said, well, at least let me do this side project thing. And mm. James said no. The rest of the band didn't have a problem with it. No, and I, James away. I think we can all agree James Hetfield was super wrong in that instance. Oh, yeah, I'm just yeah, saying absolutely. I can imagine uh, Newstead would have issues flowing from that because it's like he was just getting to the point where he was accepted as the basis for Metallica. Do you know what I mean? Like it, right. it took, even though he was in the band longer than Cliff, it took, it took a long time, you know, because of the shadow that someone like Cliff Burton, you know, right. cast. So, um, but yeah, well, I don't he's know. He's really talented. You wouldn't know it because Metallica buried all of his baseline. But well, he was a really talented guy. He saved the band from self-destruction. And then he claims, he said this in an interview, um, it, I le- when I left, that saved the band again. Because okay. they were, you, I don't know if you know this, but if your dog dies and you get a replacement dog for it immediately, you're going to imprint your emotional grief onto that new dog. Uh-huh. And that dog, you're never going to bond with that dog the way you should. Okay. And I, I think the same is true with, with Jason is that he was the replacement. They were never going to treat him like cliff. They hadn't finished grieving and here they already have a new bass player. Cause they have to finish that tour. 
So Jason just became the repository for all their grief, and they took it out on him. And even when he finally earned his his spot on the team, they were they had gotten so used to treating him like the redheaded stepchild that he was never going to get their respect. Yeah. So well, him leaving saves the band again. Yeah. No, I agree. I, I also think like that. You know, they they just that that band is just they have issues. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like they're. Oh yeah. Uh, you yeah, know. Yeah. yeah so. Um, we talk about them all the time, and it's significant because they're, they're such a perennial part of the metal movement, but they really, in a lot of ways, hold metal back. I don't think that Lars is a good person. I don't think he's a good drummer. I think he's hurt the band more than he's helped it. And had he not been there, for instance, it would have been interesting to see how the band would have... Imagine he's the one that dies on the bus instead of Cliff, right? And I'm not wishing any yeah, harm on anything. But this is a what-if, Marvel what-if scenario. What if Lars... What happens to the band? He's Lars is clearly easy to replace yeah. because he's a bad drummer. But also, you don't have that negative energy between James and Lars for the next 30 years. Well, I, I will say this. So so first off, I think, before I frame this, Metallica is complicated because, I mean, they basically created the sound of of metal in the eighties. I mean like the the, 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 style that started to dominate, they were in large part responsible for. And so I feel like any criticism I give to them, I'm also never losing sight of the fact of how important sure. ride the lightning master of puppets and even justice for all were. Um, Absolutely. but, uh, but that's a very interesting, I uh, thought because my understanding, and it could be wrong, you know, anybody that wants to weigh in with other information, feel free in the comments, but my understanding is Cliff Burton was basically their music instructor. And, and he's the reason why it, it sounds different going from their, uh, kill em all album to ride the lightning because he, right. not that he wrote everything, but that he was educating them in, you know, how music really works and how you can, you know, do harmonies and, you know, counterpoint and all these things that you see in spades on their album. And that's the thing that makes them work. The, it's it's like I was saying with System of a Down that contrast with the really harsh metally stuff and the the beautiful melodies that they have in there are what make Metallica so palatable to a broad audience. Do you know what I mean? As a as a that's why as much as I love a band like Testament, you know, and I and I was a, I was huge into Testament when I was younger. When I go back and listen to Testament, they don't have that sweetness that Metallica has that would make me want to listen to them. the same way that. You know, a band like Megadeth has these really interesting uses of chords, and there's something else there musically that keeps me pinned to the band. Um, a lot of thrash was was so focused on the aggression and just kind of the aggravation of the music that they don't have the sweetness that Metallica had. And I think you don't have that sweetness without Cliff Burton. And I I have to believe if Lars died in that uh, accident and Cliff lived, that you would have seen a much different musical trajectory. Um, right. You know what I mean? Right. At the same time, who knows how that would have panned out? Do you know what I mean? Who knows? Like, maybe maybe they would have put out another vaguely Ride the Lightning-like album, and right. it would have been dull because they were repeating the same territory. So I, I, don't, I don't know. You know, the, the, right. the Black Album obviously... I feel like up through the Black Album is good, solid material. 
you get through the black album and it's still it, it still feels like they haven't moved so far away from what they are but once you get past the black album and you get into load and stuff that's when i just can't i can't participate anymore with the band i, I just can't it doesn't feel genuine and all that stuff and stuff we've covered before um but also the other interesting thing about lars that i will say positively about him is he was the face of the band for a long time and before napster happened i don't ever remember being pissed off at him do you know what i mean like i remember finding him kind of like a charming uh spokesperson for metallica um you know that was a little bit odd and quirky uh and it wasn't till like we I, I feel like Lars is somebody who maybe he was an asshole early on but he was also maybe just you know a young guy um but I feel like I feel like the person he became was a product I feel like I feel like it's the the rock star level of success that he hit that really turned him into kind of the douchebag that people think of him as today do you know what I mean yeah, yeah, yeah. We 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 talked about him behind the scenes too. I mean, how much he's worth versus real musicians, and yeah. it's it's hard to it's hard to grok. It's hard to get behind and 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 really support the kind of wealth that he has when he's easily the most replaceable guy in all of metal. Yeah, uh, but then again, they always say that like it was him and Hetfield that were writing a lot of the music, so. Even if he's just saying do more of this or do more of that, sure, that can be important. Do you know what I mean? Like I've been I've been in situations where I had like say I was writing something, but the singer was directing me. Like no, I want it to sound like this. It's really more the singer's song than it's mine. Even though I I have the musical knowledge to make it happen, that person right. knows what they want. So if he yeah yeah if, no I get that yeah so if he had that maybe he did I don't know do you know what I mean. Um, but definitely, definitely, we we can say his drumming is known to not be the best drumming in the world, at least early on. Um, so, I used to art direct. I've art directed over twenty thousand pieces of art. This mm -hmm. is, I can, I'm not making that number up. It's, I have a database of all the art I've ever ordered. Um, and what I actually got good at doing when I got really good at art directing was learning to listen to the other artists. And instead of writing a 700-word art description, I would just write a 20-word art description. And I would let them bring their art creativity to the fore. Okay. The idea that only Lars has the ability to push James is just... No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. Yeah, I understand that's not exactly what you're saying. Mm. My point is is that that, yeah, sure, he brought something to the table... But a lot of drummers would have brought something to the table. A Possibly. lot of people who are critical and love music would have brought something to the table. You see a lot of bands putting out exceptional work. And just because they're not popular doesn't mean that they're not good. You see a lot of bands doing exceptional work and everybody gets along and everybody respects each other's space. And they don't drive other people in the band to drink or leave the band for two years. No, or not... put out something like State Anger. Because that music is stock, right? He used that term all the time in the documentary. That's stock. That's stock. And the the fans want Metallica to be stock. They don't want Death Magnetic and Saint Anger. Well, I don't think they want stock. What they want is they want something that feels like real, like those other, like like it that's adding to the genre in a good way. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like those those three albums added so much to the genre. 
and 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 they and they did it by increasing heaviness and aggression but also increasing melody and so i think if they had if they and again that's why i say i think the black album's fine the black album was great if they had done three more black albums i would have been happy but um but yeah i i i feel like i don't know lars ulrich but but my impression of him is that he's somebody who uh his ego just gets in the way of him making good art do you know what i mean yeah. i think that's yeah. the problem um and that's a that's a really great description i don't think yeah. we ever need to say anything else about him he he thinks he's he's bigger than the art yeah yeah um but i will say this i do think art direction and like telling somebody what you want from music is different if you're in the room with somebody sure. that's actually making something you know what i mean because you could say that's the analogy i could come up yeah. with but yeah um because you because because I, I would say i would make the argument that if he was in the room with james and was helping to sort of uh compose the music with him and kind of using james as like his vehicle for that he's still writing music do you know what i mean whereas if i'm giving art direction i don't feel like i'm making art do you know what i mean i feel like i'm i'm just giving the parameters that the art needs to exist in but you know i'm I, it, 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 it's 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 you know unless i'm in the room with the artist like no 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 that needs to be this color you know then maybe i can have some you know measure of credit there um but but also one thing I I uh, I, I I forgot what was it we we had said oh um, do you think that the uh, that if they had not been a dipshit to uh, to Newstead when they put out Justice for All and they had cranked the bass up how much different do you think that album would have been I know we have re like people have tried to remake the album the way it's supposed to be. Right, but right. how different do you really think that album would have been with the bass turned up? Oh, that's that's a tough question. I I think we need to go back to a more fundamental question, which is: Is that album even good, and does it add anything to the landscape? I mean, I think it is a good album. I remember really liking it. You know what I mean? Like as a, as a, you know, when I was in high school, I would listen to it yeah. a lot. Um, and I think what it gave to me was it. You know, again. Master of Puppets and Ride the Lightning are superior albums to that one, but that one has uh, just they're 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 kind of going into more progressive territory with the same blueprint from those two albums. It, right. It's a little bit more dry. I feel it's it 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 feels a little bit cold compared to those. You know, like like right. Ride the Lightning and and uh, Master of Puppets are very warm albums. Do you know what I mean like they 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 bring you in there? There's something almost gentle about the melodies in those albums and and in justice for all i feel like there's a curtness to everything it's like it's like uh and, and maybe that's justified because their bassist just died but um uh but it's not it, when, when i go back to metallica now it's 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 an album that i kind of have to summon the strength to listen to do you know what i mean like once i do it's fine and there are songs on there like one that rise above the whole album itself i think but uh but sitting down and listening to that whole album is not it's not the same level of pleasure as listening to all of master of puppets or all of ride the lightning um but it's i think it's a decent album i think it's a, I, a decent I, album. under those parameters then if, if what you're saying is true and i'm not saying it's, it's wrong under those parameters i think a baseline would have improved those albums right 
being yeah. able to an audible baseline. Let me be very clear. An audible baseline would have improved the sound of those albums because it would have smoothed out the curtness, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I agree. it would have added a missing layer from the from the music. Yep. At the same time, here's what I've always thought about that. I can sort of see, like, on the one hand, maybe they were hazing the guy. Uh, on the other hand, maybe they were subconsciously like, this is, we need to, like, have, like, the bass has to be silent because Cliff died. Do you know what I mean? Like, you need to hear us playing without him. Do you know what I mean? Like, that, I feel like when I think of it in that way. That's pretty artistic. That's an interesting perspective. That, I mean, that may, that that's how I've always seen that. Like, not how I've always seen it, because I wasn't always aware of the bass issue. But when I became aware of the bass issue, that was the thing that seemed like the most likely explanation. Like, yeah, the bassist died, and they want to have an album where you basically don't hear the bassist playing. Like, that that makes total sense to me. Um, I feel like the problem with that album is that it seems like they just kind of did it and you and never explained themselves. And so, no, you know what I mean? Like, and, and, and it's like you get two contrasting accounts from Hetfield and Ulrich and... So, uh, but yeah, I, I think I think I think uh, it would have sounded better. But I think it kind of makes sense that you have a Metallica album with no real bass sound to it, uh, you know, on the heels of what happened. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. Uh, anything else we wanna wanna go over before we we wind things down here? I don't know if there was a topic. That we no, let's, we just need to mention that yet again we've done an episode about Metallica, a band I don't even like. <laughs> True, but you brought up Lars Ulrich, I think. I know you? I did. Yeah. I blame myself. Yeah. We somehow do this. We we do okay. this every time. Okay, but, but it's I'm to blame. I know. I know. Well, okay. Next time we're gonna have like a strictly no Metallica policy on the podcast. Right. We'll, uh, you know, you know, we'll, uh, we'll have a little buzzer so that anytime somebody even thinks about it, you know, you can. <laughs> um, I like that. But uh, but yeah, no, there are other bands that I do want to talk about because I I I have. There, there, there's, there's some uh, music that we didn't get a chance to speak about um, before the shutdown that I think both of us have been encountering, and so uh, you know I'd like to talk about some other metal bands, and uh, and yeah, so so we will uh, we will be back on next time, and hopefully we'll have a less depressing lead-in to the music discussion. Um, make sure you say something in the title just as a warning. I don't know what I could say that's going to yeah. prepare people for that uh, without being clickbaity. Do you know what I mean? I don't want to be clickbaity with the titles. You know? We be- eventually talk about music. We promise. That's the yeah. title. Yeah. Of okay. All right. That's that's a that's a good way to do it. That's a good way to do it. All right. So we will head out and we will talk to you later. Pleasant presence, you and stop. And every memory we have Forgotten promises like thoughts The unholiness of your love Made me pray for My future, the unholiness of your love made me brave.
fire depression.